Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello everybody and welcome to Talking Circles. I'm Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow tonight. And we were going to break down the AAA Texas 500. It was a win by Kevin Harvick, uh, his eighth of the year. Had a great, great race car, won both stages, won the race. And everything looked to be going in the right direction for Kevin Harvick and Stuart Haas racing in that four team going to Homestead Miami Speedway. He locked himself in. He was virtually in any way via points. Um, but they locked themselves in. looked like they had the best team in the best car on the mile and a half tracks. Everything looked good for Kevin Harvick, and then the news came out this afternoon that something that Stuart Haas and Kevin Harvick and the whole entire race team did not want to see, uh, a modification to the spoiler, according to NASCAR, was found on the number four car in the R&D center. Um, on Wednesday, the penalty was announced. Crew chief Rodney Childers and car chief Cheddar Smith will be suspended for the next two Cup Series events. Childers is fined $75,000. Harvick docked 40 points, and also the win guarantee him, him into Homestead is no longer the case. Um, he's now just three points ahead of the cut line as NASCAR heads to an elimination race this weekend at ISM Raceway in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, kind of a shocking penalty. You know, they didn't find anything at the racetrack, John, on, on Sunday, and they took it back to the R&D Center. All three cars they take back to the R&D Center – have some sort of issue, and we'll get to the other penalties as well. But the big one, the Kevin Harvick, what were your thoughts when you read about the penalty to Harvick and the four team this afternoon? One of the uh, – whenever we first talked this afternoon, it sounded like NASCAR shot themselves in the foot again. But as the night went on, and Jeff Gluck has a great piece on from the uh, teleconference that Vice President of Competition Scott Miller had this evening with the media. And some of the comments that Scott Miller said is a NASCAR inspector at the track noticed something a little suspicious about the spoiler at the track. And that led the officials to further examine it when they took it back to the R&D Center. Um, Miller said the penalty was not something that was obvious to the eye or stuck out. But once it was discovered and compared to the CAD drawing in the rule book, it was a black and white penalty. And it says teams are required to purchase spoilers from a single supplier called Richardson. As such, there is no need to check the spoiler at the racetrack. They believe that the four team actually manufactured their own spoiler. Why not? Gene Haas is a CNC factory. Um, but the illegal spoiler was offset to the right in relation to the center of the car which gave it an aerodynamic advantage, which we noticed going in between. I mean, whenever he was in the center of a tor- corner, Harvick was on a rail. Everybody else was bouncing up and uh, floating up the track and everything, but Harvick could always be able to stay to the bottom line. Miller even said that NASCAR considered making it an L2 penalty, which is 75 points, but they settled at the high end of an L1. After hearing that from Scott Miller, Car kept it as an L1 penalty, and I'm a fan of Stuart Haas Racing. I like Kevin Harvick. I think Kevin Harvick is a phenomenal driver. I think Rodney Childers is a hell of a crew chief. I think Rodney Childers got Chad Knauss disease. I think, to be honest with you, the four teams should be banned from the playoffs because of this penalty. This is blatant cheating. This isn't even going gray area. This is blatant. So, I, uh, I mean, I really am beyond my, beside myself with this. I mean, it was interesting that after the race, Tony Stewart was actually t- talking to um, Dustin Long from NBC Sports about they need to NASCAR needs to figure out the pre-race inspection thing. Whenever they were griping about Jimmy Johnson's penalty for going to the back of the field when he failed inspection twice, but they thought it was three times. He said, no other place do you go where you fail inspection twice. You either fail it and you're done, and then this happens today. I think NASCAR needs to go back to the drawing board in the off season, 
Because no matter what, if Kevin Harvick wins at Phoenix, if Kevin Harvick wins at Homestead, it's not going to matter. The cloud above this is going to be the cheaters won. And at first, whenever we were talking this afternoon, I never, I wasn't thinking the cheaters won. I was thinking this is okay. This is one of them tenth of a tenth of an inch or some sort of dumbass NASCAR penalty that they've come up with that they normally do. This is blatant. I think the fourteen should be banished from the playoffs. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. I don't think the penalty needs to be that stiff as far as what you're saying, but it is interesting because when you look at the forty point penalty that Harvick got, and it, it hurts that team, but they ran that entire race, if you want to look at it that way, with an illegal modification to the spoiler. Now, whatever you want to take that uh, as take it as. So they ran the entire race. Harvard gained 65 points on Sunday at Texas Motor Speedway and was fined 40 points. So when you look at it, you say, well, he still earned 25 points on Sunday. Alex Bowman, with a presumed, now we presume because the car didn't go back to the NASCAR R&D Center, with a presumed legal car and legal spoiler, scored 23 points Bowman finished 13th on Sunday. So that makes you sit there and go, hmm, was it stiff enough? Because shouldn't you look at it and say, we want Harvick to act, we want it to act like this four team was never even at Texas because they had an illegal race car. They scored 25 points. Now, there's no doubt in my mind, had they not done this with the spoiler, they probably could have pulled off a, a 12th place finish and gotten 25 points, but it's the moral of it all. And uh, so that's where I have a little bit of a problem with it, where, you know, you have teams who came to the racetrack and did what they were supposed to do, and, you know, scored less points than what Kevin Harvick did and that 14 did when they came to the racetrack illegally. Now, looking at this from a big picture, John, what do you think this does for this four team? I mean, this is a big distraction. You're losing, Harvick now loses Cheddar Smith, who's a, who's a great car chief. Rodney Childers, we know what kind of status he holds in the garage area. Um, there's still, obviously, Childers is still going to be working on his race cars in the shop. I think all the cars are basically built the rest of the year anyway. Um, and I'm sure he's going to be communicating a lot with Tony Gibson, who's, got, who's the interim crew chief on, during, throughout the weekend. But what does this do as far as the distraction is concerned for this four team? Like I mentioned earlier, um, this team was on, on a roll. They had their fo- focus completely on Homestead and winning the championship at Homestead. Now that focus has been broken. What do you think about this as far as uh, a distraction in that four team? I don't think it's much of one. Um, you notice how Kevin Harvick uh, operates. And one of the reasons he fits great at Stuart Haas Racing is he runs pretty much the same way Tony did when he did. Put his back up against the wall and put put him in the corner. The snake's going to bite you. And we're going to Harvick's playground. And Harvick loves Phoenix, even though they're moving where the start-finish line is from the middle of what used to be the front stretch to coming out of turn two. I don't think that's going to matter a damn bit. I think Harvick's going to keep Phoenix is his personal playground. He's three points. The thing that bothers me out of this whole penalty thing is even with the 40-point penalty, if the playoffs started today, Kevin Harvick's in the final four. He's three points ahead of Kurt Busch. So all he has to do Sunday is stay three points ahead of Kurt, three places ahead of Kurt Busch. And if Phoenix, that's something he's pretty good at. So, I mean, I don't think it's that much of a distraction. Like you said, the Phoenix car is ready. The Homestead car is ready. Tony Gibson has looked at every piece of notes that there has ever been from the four car. And 10 to 1, Rodney Childers is going to be texting back and forth, listening to Harvick on the radio and saying when Harvick says it's a four loose, he's going to text Tony Gibson and say, you need to put two rounds of wedge in or something like that or take a tenth of a pound of the air pressure out. It's that simple. I mean, it's not like, Rodney Childers has no communication with Tony Gibson at all this weekend. And it's not like Tony Gibson's never sat on top of a pit box before. 
Tony Gibson's a Daytona 500 winning crew chief. Uh, he's won multiple races. Tony Gibson knows what he's doing up there. I think it's going to make Harvick drive that much deeper. I think it's going to make Harvick want the win that much more. And I think he's going to want the championship even that much more. Because Kevin Harvick did nothing wrong. He hops in the car, puts his helmet on. I know he doesn't ask Rodney Childers how he puts the car together. The one thing that does interest me, though, and it's going to be interesting, it's going to be cool with the way they're looking at it, because NASCAR has said they are going to take apart, unbolt every spoiler and examine them at the track inspection for the final two races. My question is, and this is where the topic you and I, we'll talk about it later probably, why did it take getting to the R&D center to figure it out? Especially when an inspector at the track said he noticed something a little suspicious. Why didn't they take it apart right then? Because then we're not talking about um, penalties. I mean, we'd be talking about a penalty probably because he showed up with it. But we wouldn't be talking about the winner of the race who made a great pass to win it. He dominated the race. His pit crew was phenomenal on pit road. But we're not talking about the penalty. We'd be talking about the win. NASCAR, NASCAR's got to figure out how to get all this stuff done earlier. Because I think the inspection process needs to completely change whenever we hit 2019. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with that to an extent, for sure. I think, you know, they tried um, early in the year. They said they wanted to announce these penalties in the R&D center, you know, before Wednesday's news, and usually they come out around Tuesday. We always say Tuesday night is when they seem to come out. Well, this one waited till Wednesday afternoon, and now this is the topic of discussion as we get ready to go to Phoenix. Um, so it, it is a little late, and I, I think you're right, John. It would be nice to see, you know, um, if they can do that. I, I don't know why they have to, you know, maybe it was something they had to go back to the R&D Center and just check and whatnot, but um, – who knows, you know, and, and we can only take NASCAR's word for this as far as um, how far the spoiler was out off and uh, and stuff like that. You know, we don't really get the privilege to see pictures in the R&D Center. We don't really get to see how far it was off and what they're talking about. And they said it wasn't visible with the eye. And who knows how much exactly this helped Kevin Harvick on Sunday. You know, it could have been a very, very minimal advantage or it could have been a huge advantage. Um, we won't know. You know, we don't, won't know, and, and that's where I kind of get to the, to this couple points here. One is my question – one is the question to you is um, how do you think this – do you think this will affect the performance of, of the four car? It seems like especially really since July on, on a mile-and-a-half track, Harvick's been the guy to beat. Kyle Busch has been there at times. Truex has seemed to fade a little bit since since that time. Um but it's been Harvick who's had the speed, no doubt about it. He showed at Kansas, shot himself in the foot with a pit road penalty, showed it last weekend at Texas. Do you think this penalty changes that now that NASCAR is sort of looking at him harder and pushing it harder, and they took their quote-unquote advantage away? And my question to you is what if something like this happens at Homestead um, where we crown our champion on Sunday and our champion standing there in victory lane and – got the confetti and, and everything is going great. And they realize there's another modification to one part of somebody's car when they take it back to the NASCAR R and D center and announce on Wednesday that our champion who took pictures, who did interviews on TV, who went and did a media tour is no longer our champion because the car was illegal. Well, but, NASCAR did say uh, when it comes to that, Clayton, uh, whatever it takes Sunday night, if they're going to tear apart the engine Sunday night while they're still at Homestead. Um, let's see. Uh, they said NASCAR will perform an engine teardown and enhanced post-race inspection immediately after Homestead, as it's been done in the past, rather than wait until midweek to scrutinize the championship car for any funny business. Homestead could potentially turn into a Sunday night issue, but it certainly won't be in the middle of the week, Miller said. We will be able to have eyes on those cars and see those things quickly at pre-race and post-race at Homestead. We feel good about the process. So we will come out Sunday night 
or early Monday morning, depending on how much inspection needs to be done, we will know whether the car is legal before we go to bed Sunday night. At least that's what NASCAR says will happen. Um, the other question about the performance of the four car, I don't think it will change. I really don't. I think the four car, I mean, the car for Homestead's already been presented to NASCAR. Um, and again, it's one of those things where I'm a firm believer now. The enhanced inspection needs to be, if they have to roll the cars in there at five o'clock Sunday morning, you get one shot at it, get it within the tolerances. If they have to, I almost think NASCAR needs to bolt the spoiler on themselves the same way they do the restrictor plate. NASCAR hands them the restrictor plate. You don't bring your own. NASCAR should hand them the spoiler on Friday when they get to the track or Thursday or Saturday when they get to the pack, track on the uh, shortened weekends, and they bolt it on, and there you have it. I think their pre-race inspection should be the inspection because you should be able to figure out before they get on the track whether the car is legal or not. And if it's illegal, it does not enter the track. It's that simple. We should not be talking penalties Wednesday night at 10:16 Eastern time to one of the drivers who should have been in the top four locked in. But we should be talking about how tough it's going to be for Kurt Busch, Eric Almarola, Clint Boyer, and Chase Elliott to find their way to get the third or fourth spot in the playoffs instead of talking penalties again. We've done this, what, 10 times this year? No wonder, I mean, you look at it, they had uh, Chad Knauss was on with Moody today. And Moody asked about, what. well, you've got people out there in the 25th place that are just running around perfectly legal, and Chad just basically laughed. He said, if there's a gray area, somebody's trying to do everything they can to make the car go faster. And sometimes they will push the limits of the gray. And Chad knows because he's been suspended, what, 10, 12 times himself. And they need to figure out that when we leave the racetrack, the winner is the winner. And if they can figure out how to make sure the car is completely legal before it steps, it goes on the track, then we don't have to worry about it. NASCAR doesn't have that egg in the face because right now it looks like who's the best cheater is going to win. And it's a black eye for the sport. And I think that's the biggest thing here, John, is the fact that, and, and I, I don't mind the. I mean, the rules to me are too tight, but I don't mind the fact that if you want to be as strict as as one one hundredth of an inch is out of tolerance, I don't mind that. But what I do mind is, like you said, three days later they come up with this. That's that's where I have a problem with it. It's just, you know, when you leave a short track race or that night, you know, you, you hear, okay, when that car leaves the racetrack, there's you know, there's nothing they could do to it. So, and I don't mind taking cars back to the R&D center if they still want to do that process. And just to see if the teams are getting a little bit of a heads up on them and say, okay, you got us. Or something to that nature. Okay, and, and really, really be strict. But I think NASCAR's being ultraly, ultraly strict right now. Not that they weren't before, but, I mean, goodness gracious, they put uh, Eric Amarola to the rear of the field for something that, that they didn't like to that 10 car. Uh, and he had to start at the rear of the field after inspection on Sunday, you know. And uh, so Amarola went to the rear, had to come, and, and really it turned into a, a big deal because I think that was part of the reason why Amarola was so frustrated was he had to pass so many cars on a track that was extremely hard to pass. And then Logano got to his door and took some air off his spoiler and got him loose and almost wrecked. Uh, and I think that was part of the reason why Amarola – um, was so frustrated, but I'm getting off topic here. Is I just think NASCAR is getting getting extremely, um, you know, strict here. I mean, it wasn't only Harvick that that had some penalties today. There was uh, other cars and other, um, 
you know, Ryan Bellini's car, who went back, he got penalized as well. Um, and there's a few others. Eric Jones finished fourth. They were both docked 20 points and having their car chief suspended for two races, and their crew chiefs fined $50,000 for a Bellini had a, front, had a door front crush panel violation, and Jones had a package tray violation. So um, both of those drivers are eliminated from the playoffs, but still, you know, all three cars went back to the R&D center, had some sort of issues. So I think NASCAR's getting real strict and saying, hey, you know, we're not taking any modifications, any problems at all, uh, and, and we're we're really swinging a, an iron fist right now as we get ready to go to Homestead. One of the things I was listening to Chad talk to Moody today also is whenever um, Jimmy Johnson got penalized, sent to the rear of the field for a failing inspection three times, and they only failed it twice, and Chad was saying that because the NASCAR rulebook is so big, so thick, and it is digital, they were st- trying to get it on the website on their pit box and they didn't have direct communication to the tower because they found out on the parade laps that they were going to the back of the field. And Chad's going through trying to figure out what the penalty was for whatever. And by the time they figured it out, 15 laps into the race, it's too late to do anything about it. You're wondering and thankfully, Scott Miller came out with the complete um, explanation of what this penalty was. Because to the typical fan, when they say failure, they failed NASCAR rule L4XQYEIEIO, most of us don't even understand what the hell that is. Whenever Scott Miller comes out and has his teleconference and explains it the way it is. I I love that. I think that was probably one of the best nights of NASCAR that Scott Miller actually defined what was wrong with the four car. Because we probably would have ended up talking about a week. Well, Harvick got, uh, Childers got suspended. Harvick had a legal car, but we don't know what it was. And then you get somebody saying, like the time that Boyer got uh, penalized at New Hampshire because they were the width of a quarter out of tolerance. And that meant nothing. It actually hurt the downforce in the car or whatever. So it just, I'm glad they did this tonight. But the problem is, and we keep running into it, is we he raced the whole race with an illegal car. How can you pass pre-qualifying, post-qualifying, pre-race inspection, and then when they tear, I mean, if you pass inspection three times, You should be on the track legal. Whatever happens on the track happens on the track. But you passed inspection three times. Then it's right what you got. And you go back and you do it all over again. And the funny part, and it was really, really interesting that um, the NASCAR broadcast with NBC was saying about when Harvick won the race, he didn't do donuts, he didn't do burnouts, he didn't do anything. You almost were thinking this was going to be the car they might want to take a homestead or at least keep it as the backup for homestead. So he was being careful with the car. He wasn't doing burnouts to where he rips the quarter panels off or anything like that. And then this happens. It looked like they were trying to take care of the car to get it to homestead. And then all hell breaks loose today. I think NASCAR needs to go back, reevaluate things, find the way that if you pass inspection three times, you're ready to go, let's race, and we're done. You may take cars back to the R&D center during the week, and if you find something here and there, it's the old, okay, here's the new rule. We caught you doing this, and tell everybody, this is what we caught them doing, but keep it in-house. 917-889-8280, if you want to join the show tonight on Talking Circles, Clayton Caldwell here, John Harlow there, and you can join the show like Lee in Virginia. Hello, Lee. What do you want to talk about tonight? Talk about tonight. Hi, guys. I guess the news of the day, and lots of news of the day today, a big day in auto racing. So, Lee, you want to talk about Lee, you Lee, you might want to turn your, your uh, radio down a little bit. Uh, you want So, you want to talk about the uh, new setup at uh, Phoenix Raceway, correct? 
Oh yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> the longer pit road. The reconfiguration. Let's talk Harvick. Well, you know, I, I, I do agree with the people who are out there and Kenny Wallace has been toting this this argument for a while of once you leave the racetrack you're beat. And you shouldn't um you shouldn't be penalized for that. Now I would love love that as a race fan. I think the argument made there saying that uh you know, you beat us, you got by all of our inspection pre and pre before and after the race and we shouldn't take cars back to the R and D center and then penalize somebody I get and I like. But the fact of the matter is we do that and we've been doing it all year long and those are the rules. And they broke a rule. And they know they broke a rule, and they're in direct violation of breaking that rule, and they knew it. I mean, listen, if they didn't know and they weren't sure about it, they would have never, they would have appealed if they didn't know that what they were doing was total manipulation on that rear spoiler, and they didn't get away with it. I do agree with the fact that, yes, we should rule with the fact that, hey, they take the car back to the R&D center, Kevin Harvick says, hey, they call up uh, Rodney Childers and say, Rodney, you beat us this week, man. But if you show up to that racetrack next week with that spoiler like that, we're going we're gonna to check you, number one. That's the first thing we're going to do is we're going to take the four car, and the moment you roll it out of the hauler, we're going to look. And if it is anywhere near the way it was at Texas, we're going to impound your race car, we're going to confiscate you, we're going to kick you out of the racetrack, and we're not going to let the number four car run this weekend. That's what you got to do. However, the rule is we can penalize after that. And they know that they can, and they know what they were doing, and they knew they were taking that chance. And here we are. And I'll, I'll tell you, I don't think it was steep enough because I think if we're going to have a rule book and we're going to we're going to we're going to you know have people fail like this, you bring an illegal race car to the racetrack, that car shouldn't even enter the race. So they earned 65 points and we're not we're docked 40. No, they earned 65 points. They should have been docked 65 points and, and been credited with all all but finishing dead last in that race, in my opinion. And that's just the way I feel about it. Lee, I'm with I you. I mean, Scott Miller said there was a debate that within the group of whether to have it as an L1 or an L2, and the L2 is a 75-point penalty. So, I mean, NASCAR was on the fence about whether or not putting the big big hammer down on this team. The thing is, where you look at it with the 40-point penalty, if the playoffs started today, Kevin Harvick is in the Final Four with a chance at the championship. And when Scott Miller in his teleconference said, it looks like Stuart Haas Racing – created their own spoiler. That's where you really got the problem. I'm a firm believer. I don't like the doing the post-race and all that stuff, and that's something we have to worry about next year, and hopefully NASCAR gets your crap together and figures out something to where we know when everybody leaves the racetrack Sunday night, Saturday night, Monday after a rain or whatever, whoever the champion or whoever the race winner or champion is going to be. But as of the way it is right now, with this penalty and – I said it right off the bat. I'm a fan of Stuart Haas Racing. I like Kevin Harvick. I like Rodney Childers. The four cars should not be eligible for the championship the rest of the way because this is beyond blatant. Yeah, and if they're going to go and create their own spoiler, I mean, listen, I've been toting the – I don't care what they do to these race cars as long as it's not a foreign substance or something that's foreign. I'm okay with that. But but and that that'd be my rule book. Listen, if I were to be a sanctioning body, I'd walk up to these guys and say we're going to have pre-race inspection, and everybody's going to be the same to start the race. But once you pass pre-race inspection, the gloves are off. And but and we're going to have post-race, but we're just going to have post-race to make sure that you don't add anything foreign to the race car. That being tungsten, etc. And if you do, we're going to come down on you hard. And if it looks like they created their own spoiler, to me, that's that's what that is. And that should have been an MWR penalty, in my opinion, not not just a 40-pointer there. So uh, they need to get on the on the page of that, in my opinion. They need to, get, they need to do a better job of, of uh, cracking down on that because, to me, it wasn't steep enough. I would have put it at least 100 points to the fact that they would have had to have win at Phoenix to get into the playoffs or get into the championship race at Homestead. It's very interesting, and, and... – you know, the thing I think we have to keep in mind here, and this is sad, but this is could be – do you think – I guess what I'm asking is do you think this create this enters the mind of NASCAR and a sanctioning body where look at Jimmy Johns, look at uh, Bush Beer. You know, 
with what John said, if you take him out of the championship or what Lee said where you say, hey, you know what, you're going to come to the racetrack and you're not going to – we're going to confiscate your race car and you're not going to be able to race. Those companies pay a lot of money to be on that race car, and it's hard to – as a team to explain why you're not racing. Um, and I know – I have a feeling I know what Lee's going to say there, but do you think that enters NASCAR's mind at all here and maybe that's why we don't see as stiff a penalty and why we don't see what Lee was saying as far as, um, you know, confiscating a race car. Oh, I, th- I think that's definitely enters their mind. It shouldn't. Uh, that's Stuart, listen, that's Stuart Haas Racing's job to sell sponsorship. And if you are NASCAR and Stuart Haas Racing has a problem with the way you do things and the way you rule – you t- walk up to Gene Haas and Tony Stewart, you sit them down in a, in a room at the racetrack, and you say, hey, guys, listen, this is what we're going to do. And if Gene Haas or Tony Stewart say, hey, we're not happy with that, you go, hey, Gene, Tony, you can go take your race cars, pack them up, go find another racetrack and another circuit and another series to go race at this week that's going to get as much publicity and give you as many winnings to run under these rules. You can go go ahead. Go, go find one. Or you can come play by our rules. And if you're going to play by our rules, then we're going to, and if you're not going to play our rules, we're going to we're going to fine you, we're going to suspend you, and we're going to do what we have to do. And it's up to you to sell that sponsor, and it's up to you to tell the sponsors to walk up to Jimmy Johns and to walk up to Bush to the Anheuser Busch family and go, hey guys, listen, it's our fault. We didn't pass inspection. Not NASCAR's problem. We didn't pass inspection. I think that's where we've gotten a little with the laser. It's amazing to me how the laser inspection only seems to really give you problems at intermediate racetracks, right? Remember last year? Oh, well, you know, uh, it's NASCAR. that You know, their, their system screwed up, really, because it only happened at Chicagoland and Kansas and Texas and Atlanta. It didn't happen at Daytona or Bristol or Martinsville or Richmond. So I don't understand how that works. Um, and, and we need to get – they need to take control of themselves, these race teams – and the Race Team Alliance, which is basically running the sport right now, and say, it's on us to pass inspection. This is a division that we, that we choose to race in, and we choose to run under these rules. And buying a charter shows that, hey, you should be able to, to make, be, be in, within the rules that we put out for you to race in. And if you can't, then they're going to come down hard on you with an iron fist. I think it should have been worse than it was today. So that's not up to NASCAR. And I know – that's definitely what goes through their minds, the way they look at it and go, we're going to lose sponsors. Oh, well, you know what? Then make sure they're within inspection because you got a team out there like David Reagan's team trying to be within the rules and can't run anywhere near them. And Parker Clearman coming out and saying this week, man, the gap between the big teams and the little teams is greater than it's ever been. Well, I mean, that's why. And also the big teams, a lot of them have bought the laser inspection station. They have it in their own shops. Um, one of the things that popped into my head as we've been talking throughout the night, whenever we've been saying about NASCAR has, they have to take the car to the R and D center to get a sticker on it to say that this car is eligible to run. I almost think they should have to take the car to the inspection center, however many they're going to run. And once the car is at the inspection center, like for example, all the Homestead cars have gone through the R&D center, the ones that are going to run for the championship. I can guarantee you that. Whenever they get done at the R&D center and they get that sticker on it, NASCAR shrink wraps it. And they bring that car to the track shrink wrapped. And whenever NASCAR, uh, they pull it off the, tr- pull it off the truck, NASCAR inspector- inspectors cut the shrink wrap off, and it is the way it is whenever it passed inspection at the NASCAR R&D center. Because so many things happen in between. If it passed, it passed. Now we go. But that's, again, a discussion we'll have going into 2019. Because NASCAR really needs to do a lot of self-evaluation of how they're going to do things. I'm with you, Lee. I think the penalty at 40 points with what Scott Miller said they did to the spoiler is not even a slap on the wrist. That's like a, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Thanks for coming. Drive through. Um, 
I think I think it should have been seventy five hundred disqualification from the playoffs. One of those things it should have been. Forty points is a slap on the wrist because Harvick is still eligible for the championship. The way it stands now, if they would run today, if they go to Homestead today, Kevin Harvick is one of the four cars who would be battling for a championship. And with this penalty, and I mean, don't get me wrong, Kevin Harvick is not the one who had the problem. He was just the guy holding the steering wheel. I don't think Kevin Harvick knows what they do to the spoiler or that they created something like that. Hell, 10 to 1, I bet Tony Stewart doesn't know it. Because Tony was out driving sprint cars this week. I don't think he knows what goes into the car. I think he knows the budget. I think he knows the people. And I think he knows getting – I think he's, his job is to put the organization together. Put smart, pe- excuse me, put smart people in there to get creative and find ways to run great. Tony Stewart doesn't know what nuts and bolts go into that car. Kevin Harvick doesn't know all the nuts and bolts that go into the car. He knows what he feels. He knows what he wants to drive, and Rodney Childers is a guy who's going to make it happen for him. But whatever happened there, penalty was not harsh enough. Agreed. 917-889-8280. Not to get off this topic, we could go on all night about it, but there is another very interesting piece of news that came out today that would have been even the headline of the night had it not been for the Kevin Harvick situation, and that is the defending Cup Series champion, Martin Truex Jr., moving from Furniture Racing. We knew that team is shutting down at the end of the year, uh, and there was rumors he was going to go to Joe Gibbs Racing in the number 19 Toyota. That was made official today. He's bringing Cole Pern with him. Cole Pern's going to join that team as well. So Suarez and Dave Rogers, Suarez and Scott Graves are out at the 19 car. Scott Graves going to Rash Fenway next year. Um, we'll go to Lee first. Lee, what, what's your thoughts? You know, Martin Shrek Jr., uh, no surprise here. I think a lot of people expected him to go there. Uh, a lot of people didn't expect Pern to stay in the Toyota camp. What are your thoughts on, on the announcement today out of Joe Gibbs Racing? Christmas comes early for Joe Gibbs. He gets what he wants. Uh, he, you know, he got, he was tired of getting his brains kicked in by Martin Truex Jr. and the Furniture Row group out there in Denver, Colorado, his satellite team, his subsidiary team. He was tired of getting his brains kicked in by them. And you know what? Let Martin Truex Jr., you know, John, you brought up, I think, last week, you wondered why Martin Truex Jr. wouldn't go to the 41. Well, because Gene Haas doesn't want to pay a driver as much money as Martin Truex Jr. is commanding right now. You know, if he did, Kurt Busch wouldn't be announcing a press conference on Friday. So, um, to me, Martin looked at it and said, I'm owed a certain amount of money. I'm not going to take a pay cut. And you know what? He's the defending series champion. I think he's owed that. Um, but it stays in a Toyota camp, I think, a lot of reasons because of Toyota. Uh, and, and they were able to find a, a, a loop. You're gonna, I think you're going to find that they're able to find a clause in the RS contract to keep Martin there. I don't think performance goes down any there. I think, I think performance improves. The 19 car to me has been very subpar at Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, but so is the 11. And we know the guy driving the 11 car can do it. Denny Hamlin is a tremendous race car driver. So I think it's more to it than just the fact that it's the driver and, and Daniel Suarez over there at the 19. But bringing Truex in and bringing Cole Pern in and not letting them get away to another organization to win for Joe Gibbs, and I think he wanted it. That's what he wanted when he raised the price for furniture racing, and he got what he wanted today, and that was Martin Truex Jr. and Cole Pern to go over there and drive for him and race for him next year in 2019. I'm with you, Lee. I think, uh, unfortunately, uh, Joe Gibbs actually is the reason Furniture Row doesn't exist next year because they were getting beat soundly on a regular basis with their own stuff, and they'd send it out to Denver, and Cole Pern and their crew of 50 out there at Furniture Row Racing would massage on it and make it even better, and they would beat them with their own stuff. Um, I think Toyota did have a big role in it from what everything has been announced throughout the whole thing is Eris actually has a contract with Joe Gibbs racing, not with Daniel Suarez. Um, Carlos Slim said he's going to find ways to keep Daniel Suarez somewhat funded. I think you're going to find like 5 million bucks for Daniel Suarez to run somewhere next year, but Eris is going to stay with Joe Gibbs racing. So it's going to be fast pro shops. Eventually it's going to be the auto owners insurance coming with them and Eris, and he's going to have a fully sponsored car. He's going to drive the 19, 
And I hope if Cole Pern's smart and if Joe Gibbs is smart, they're bringing the fleet from Denver to Concord or to uh, the Joe Gibbs Racing Shop. And Truex is going to keep driving his own stuff instead of getting into the 19. Because whatever they've been doing with the 19, it is not nearly as good. I think Daniel Suarez is a decent driver. I don't think he's great. But he's got he's in 20th place last year, 20th place this year. Eric Jones, you saw growth this year. Denny Hamlin, for some reason, you've seen step back. And it's not, not that Denny Hamlin does not know how to drive a car. And that's the interesting part. And as we keep looking, silly season's coming. Next, I mean, We could almost look at next year's silly season, and I still think what you said last week, Lee, that Kyle Busch Motorsports idea may still be the fly in the ointment that everybody's sort of going to be shocked about come July next year. I would not be shocked by any stretch. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned Suarez. I think he's going to end up at Stuart Haas Racing but I think he's going to end up at Stewart House Racing for the price that Kurt Busch would not take uh, a very much of a, of a pay cut there coming back from a Toyota driver who are known to be the highest paid drivers in the sport, and that's going to be Martin Truex Jr. next year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how that all plays out. You know, Truex and, and Pern, obviously you mentioned, John, their success in Denver with Furniture Racing. I mean, goodness gracious, as soon as Pern got to that race team, it was like a light switch. You know, that was no disrespect to Todd Barrier when Todd Barrier was a crew chief of that, of that team for a year. And if you remember, Martin Truex Jr. struggled. Cole Pern came in, and it was a light switch. All of a sudden, they just went off, winning a lot of races. They've been really good in a mile and a half. They've been good everywhere, um, but really, especially in a mile and a half. My question to you, uh, guys, is do we see this team continue to run very well in a mile and a half. So you think anything changes? Um, you know, not, now that they're not on their own and maybe giving some, some extra information to his – who are going to be Joe, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing's teammates next year, if I could say that correctly, uh, giving more information to teammates next year and working closer with Joe Gibbs Racing, do you think that advantage that they had at Furniture Racing over the last few years is going to go away? Or do you expect this 19 team to really hit on all cylinders like the, like the 78 car has and not miss a beat and start winning races and being a championship contender again? What are your thoughts on that, guys? I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's a tough, answer, tough question to answer because I think part of the reason, as well as the price and getting tired of being kicked in, getting kicked, their heads kicked in by furniture or racing is the fact that I think there's – Clearly, things that Cole Pern and Martin Truex Jr. are doing to the 78 car that may not be translating or, or getting uh, communicated over to the Joe Gibbs Racing Stables. I think that's very apparent, and that's not going to be the case next year because the 19 will be in the Joe Gibbs Racing Stables, and I'm sure there will be a middleman or somebody running between all the teams to make sure that the 19 is, is getting at least the 18 is getting at least what the 19 had with Cole Pern and, and Martin Truex Jr. So that's a good point. It's hard to answer with the package next year. I think aerodynamics are going to are going to play into it even more than than motors and everything else. The way the package is going to be next year, uh, you, you know, these guys are going to try and manipulate and just get more and more downforce out of them, like we like they've been trying to do for years. So uh, I think that's all going to matter. I think it's all going to come into it, and, and it may not necessarily be uh, as much driver input in that sense, but. Um, I think that's a good question on, on whether or not the 78 can continue their dominance because it's probably most likely going to go to the 20 and the 11 and the 18 as well rather than staying out in Denver, whatever information that they had. One of the things that Joe Gibbs Racing's always done is weekends, there's the 18, 19, 11, and 20 cars. Monday through Thursday, it is Joe Gibbs Racing. Nobody wears anything but Joe Gibbs Racing shirts. They all work on all the cars and put it all together. They build everything as a group. There's no specific – because, I mean, you've seen it in the past whenever – because they used to announce on J-Ski what chassis everybody was running. And you could see Kyle Busch run this chassis one week. Denny Hamlin would run the same cha- a different chassis – the same chassis two weeks later – and then at one point, uh, Matt 
um, Matt Kenseth would run it a month later. So those same chassis are floating around the whole Joe Gibbs organization. It's not like these 15 chassis are only made for the 18 car. These 10 chassis are going to be for the 19. During the week, all the stuff's built as a group, and they pick out what they want out of the yard sale almost. I think it's going to be a totally different thing for Martin Truex Jr. because they don't get the chassis sent to them and have 50 people manipulating that one chassis. It's going to be really interesting to see how that works. One of the things I look at it when it comes to the Truex move to Joe Gibbs Racing, certain times magic happens. And Martin Truex Jr. and Cole Pern was magic that happened. Martin Truex Jr. was a decent driver at DEI. Martin Truex Jr. was a decent driver at Michael Waltrip Racing. But when Martin Truex and Cole Pern got together, magic happened. You saw Casey Kane and Kenny Francis did really well with Ray Evernham. They did well at Red Bull. They actually won a race at Red Bull. When they got to Hendrick Motorsports, it was a dumpster fire. Kenny Francis and Casey Kane could not recreate that magic again. And they are at a better team with Hendrick Motorsports than they ever were with Ray Evernham or Red Bull. So this might be one of those ones where you have the perfect scenario working really well together, and we think we're putting you even in an even better situation, and it doesn't work. Look at that super team that Rick Hendrick built for Daryl Waltrip when he first came to Hendrick Motorsports. He had Waddell Wilson as a crew chief and engine builder. He had Hammond. He had everything you could ever imagine. Daryl Waltrip was supposed to take over the world after he left Junior Johnson to go to Hendrick Motorsports. And it didn't work at all because nobody worked well together. It was all, it was an all-star team, but nobody could match. I don't know how this is going to work. Yeah. You've seen how many times did Truex and Kyle Busch and Cole Pern and Adam Stevens get into it. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, and that's that. And I think there's going to be some animosity there because, you know, we've seen, and I, and I said this, a few year, weeks ago when Truex got out of his car and he was frustrated, and I forget what racetrack it was, maybe Darlington, and he kicked the door in, and I said to Lee, I believe it was, that that kick or that punch was a little bit more than just that race. I think that was a, a combination of everything that's gone down this year. And, and if you're Truex and you look at the opportunity he's had, I mean, he's waited his entire career to get in a ride like this, a consistent ride where you're up front winning races and, and winning a championship, and now that's gone. And you can say, well, the meat is still going to be there with, you know, Cole Pern, who's a great crew chief, and I think he's certainly um, going to help that uh, 19 car next season, but it's not the same. You know, it's not the same car and the same team and the same everything um, that they've had. So I, I think – there's certainly going to be some animosity there, and we'll see how it plays out. Now, they have to play nice because, like you said, John, the same guys are building the cars and everything. Um, but it's going to be very interesting to see where they go next season with this 19 car. Um, and, and then that you know, brings up Daniel Suarez, who we talked about a little bit earlier, who, um, out of a ride, you know, guy's been here two years now, struggled in both of his years at that 19 car. You can say what, give a million reasons of why he struggled, but he did struggle. We saw it with a, another young driver out of the Joe Gibbs Racing Stables who struggled his first couple of years at Joe Gibbs Racing, went to another organization, and completely blossomed. And has turned into a, a, a championship contender and a, a multiple-time race winner, and has turned into the absolute superstar that he was projected to be when he started his career at Joe Gibbs Racing. I'm talking about Joey Logano. Um, John, I'll go to you first, then Lee. What do you think? Do you think it's possible that Joey Logano, uh, or excuse me, that Dana Suarez can turn into like a Joey Logano where he can blossom at his new race team, potentially Stuart Haas Racing right now. That's where it looks like he's going. Do you think he can blossom and take this in stride? What are your thoughts on Suarez's exit from the 19 car? No. Well, this one is... Yeah, this one's a little, a lot messier than Logano's, and Logano's was messy. This one's way messier than Joey Logano's, and I and I understand. Listen, Joey Logano was known as sliced bread because Joey Logano was one of the. I mean, I remember, I remember and you watched it with me, watching 
like NASCAR uh, race day, and Mark Martin was on talking about 14-year-old Joey Logano and saying he could run in cup today. Um, and, and Joey was too young. I think he was too immature to be running in cup at 18 years old. The Tony Stewart thing, I think, had one more year in his contract with Joe Gibbs Racing when he got out. He was rushed up a little soon. And, and, and Suarez similarly was rushed up a little soon because I don't think they expected – I know they didn't expect Carl Edwards to walk away when he did. But he did, and then Suarez was rushed up to cup. But I don't think Daniel Suarez has the quote-unquote talent that we knew Joey Logano had. Suarez is 25 years old, um, but he has a right to be upset. And, and listen, I like the kid. I think the kid I, – I, I'm happy that he's not doing the Trevor Bain and, and playing all nice and saying all good, saying all the right things. I'm happy he's out there furiously irate. I think that's good for our sport. I think it's good that he's being honest with everybody. I give Daniel Suarez a lot of credit for not hiding his feelings because he got screwed in this deal. No question about it. Um, but is he going to go to, to Stuart Haas Racing and win a whole bunch of races? I think he's going to have a, a, an Eric Amarola type of year. I think you know Michael Waltrip could make the playoffs in one of those cars. Uh, that, that's saying something. So those cars are just phenomenal right now. They, they really are. Uh, you know, Amarola is a, a good driver. He's not a great driver, and as we can tell, he's a he's a sissy from what he did the other night. Uh, just unbelievable, in my opinion. But and he doesn't have the, he doesn't have that barracuda, that killer mentality. I think that's needed to be a winning driver on a consistent basis. I think though Suarez, this will turn him into it. I think he will definitely focus a little harder to be great because he was screwed so badly in his kids deal. Um, and we'll see. But I'm not expecting him to go out there and win a race next year. But I could see him contending and maybe make the playoffs just because it is Stewart House races. I think uh, Daniel Suarez will be better than 20th place because, like you said, Lee, he's going to be in a Stewart Haas car. But Daniel Suarez is not Joey Logano. And Joe Gibbs messed up Joey Logano's beginning of his career because they tried to put the square peg in the round hole. Greg Zipidelli knew how to set up anything for Tony Stewart in his sleep. And they were trying to get Joey Logano to drive to what Greg Zipidelli knew instead of Greg Zipidelli changing to Joey Logano's driving style. And you saw it. That's the way it was for like the first three years. And then finally Zippy went to Stuart Haas's vice president of competition and the competition director. Um, they got a different crew chief in for Logano and Logano ran much better in his final year with Joe Gibbs racing. The problem was it's sort of like the same thing that Daniel Suarez is running into. You have potential with Joey Logano, or you have a sure thing in Matt Kenseth. And Joe Gibbs went for the sure thing. And that year, Matt Kenseth did not at this point. He won, what, seven, eight races that first year? And it took a little bit for Joey Logano came out of the box and ran really good for Penske and has blossomed under Penske. It's one of those things, do you wait for potential to kick in or do you go for the right now? And Stuart Haas waited too long for Danica Patrick's alleged potential to kick in. And we saw where it got him. And one year with Eric Amarola, who at best mid-pack talent driver on a lot of cases, I mean, he hasn't shown that he's the guy who you feel and believe can win any week. But he's made, he's in the, he's in the round of eight. And Danica Patrick never sniffed, what, 28th? So I think the difference in the cars will make Daniel Suarez a better driver. I think having um, Kevin Harvick and Clint Boyer and Eric Amarola and Tony Stewart to lean on will help him understand what he needs to do better in the car. I don't think he's going to turn into a playoff driver tomorrow, but it will be an improvement for him. My question, again, going back to the Truex thing, Truex has been the number one guy at Furniture Row. Where does he sit in the Joe Gibbs order? Two, three? Because you know Kyle Busch is number one. Is he two behind Kyle Busch, or is he three behind Hamlin? Because as we know, Hamlin has been there the longest. Hamlin bought a house beside Joe Gibbs whenever he first got to Charlotte, and Hamlin has the full season in backing of FedEx. So where does Martin Truex fit in? Is he third in line? Is he second? He sure as hell isn't first, and he's been first where he's been the last few years. 
because at Michael Waltrip Racing, he was the lead dog. At Furniture Row, he was the only dog for most of the time. So it's something that Truex and Cole Pern might have to learn how to do is they're not number one in the pecking order. Absolutely, absolutely. 9178982 What are your thoughts, Lee, on this? No, I think those are good points for sure. Cool, cool. Um, how about Phoenix, Lee, real quick? Um, you know, we're going to lose our live audience in two minutes here, but, you know, go to our uh, – if we lose you live, go to our Facebook page, go to our Twitter page, find the show there, and you can listen to uh, the rest of the show as we go a little bit over time here tonight in Talking Circles. Um, how about Phoenix? You know, coming up here – a lot of people look at this as a race that Kevin Harvick's going to go out and dominate. Um, this track's changed a little bit. And if you remember, you know, since this team's gone to Ford, um, he really hasn't had it wrapped his arms around this racetrack all that great as far as how dominant he used to be uh, at Phoenix in a Chevrolet for Stuart Haas Racing. Um, but with everything that's gone on today and this week now, uh, what are your thoughts on, on the upcoming race at Phoenix? Do you think Harvick is the favorite to win there? Um, you know, what are your thoughts? Well, I think it's going to depend on what the spoiler, how much it really mattered to them. You know, I, I hope this doesn't turn into a Joey Logano 2017 situation for, for Stuart Haas Racing in the number four team. Uh, that would be unbelievable if that happened. I think, though, Knowing this four team, and, and listen, Rodney Childers is still going to miss. His fingerprints are going to be all over that race car. I wouldn't be surprised if he's up on Rattlesnake Hill. But, uh, you know, he's just not going to be in the premises. Um, so, to me, I think they're still going to have a really, really good race car. Kevin Harvick is still obviously Kevin Harvick, and he dominates at Phoenix. I think that's part of the reason why they kind of took knowing that they were taking that chance at Texas with the spoiler the way it was. They knew what they were doing. Uh, they know they can go out there and win at Phoenix, and, and I, I think they're a favorite, no question about it. But if they have any issues at all, they've got to be perfect. They have to be absolutely perfect. They can't be speeding on pit road like he did at Kansas. They can't have a lug nut loose. They can't have a loose wheel. They can't have something break. They can't have any air gun jam. They can't have anything, anything go wrong, or it's going to cost them the championship. And to me – you know, that that would be unbelievable. It really would. I mean, if, if they come out of here, if this four team comes out of Phoenix and they aren't at Homestead, that would be the biggest upset of a of a story since Kel- – that would be the biggest penalty since costing Mark Martin a championship back in 1990. I mean, that's how big it would be. But do I think that's going to happen? No, I think the four is going to dominate. I think the four is going to go win both stages of Phoenix and shut everybody up, and, and they're going to take the car back to the R&D center, and it's going to be legal, and they're going to go to Homestead and win a championship. I still believe that. I, you know, I don't want them to because I don't like what they did as a race fan. It bothers me to my core watching 27 people in the stands of Texas on Sunday where in years past, Eddie Gossage and his, and his core group of promoters have said, oh, it's the Dallas Cowboy game. They played on Monday night, and there was like less than 30,000 people in those stands. Talk about what you want, Eddie Gossage. There was no one in those stands. And and then the show that got put on by Kevin Harvick and that number four team, which was an absolute beatdown with an illegal race car, to me is infuriating as a race fan. So I hope they don't win the championship, but I still think they're going to. And if I had to put money down, I would say it's the four. I think they're going to win Phoenix, and I think they're going to win Homestead. And the 4-1 Phoenix, the last time we were there on March 11th. I mean, it took him a while to get to the front. He started 10th. I think he had a pit road penalty or something also where it put him to the back of the longest line. But he still made it to the front, led 38 laps, and won the race in March. As long as Kevin Harvick is holding a steering wheel in Phoenix and the car is in one piece, he's going to run in the top five. And Kevin Harvick needs to have, I wouldn't even say the perfect daily. He just needs to be three spots ahead of his teammate or within three spots of Kurt Busch because he's three points ahead of the cutoff line right now. If he can keep Kurt Busch in his sights all day Sunday, he's running at Homestead for a championship. But I think you've got the snake in the corner. Stage points are going to be very, very important. I think he's going to hammer everybody. I think you're right on that. 
It's going to be a very interesting weekend at Phoenix. All right, ISM Raceway. They keep changing the name of these racetracks uh, at ISM Raceway in Phoenix, Arizona. Lee, thanks so much for joining the show tonight. Your insights always uh, welcome. Come Good on night, anytime guys. you want, and we'll see you next Appreciate time. Appreciate you, Lee. Thank you, bud. Enjoy. Hey, listen. Hey, listen. With, let me, the final shot. With all this nonsense yeah. that goes on today, with everything that went on, we still love it. We still love it. I'm still going to watch Phoenix, and I'm still going to watch Homestead. And the, the weekend after Homestead, I'm going to be dying watching football going. This is nowhere near what I love in NASCAR, but, boy, what a day today as a race fan. It, it's going to make Phoenix very interesting for sure. And the sad Absolutely. part is Cole made, made a hell of a run in the Xfinity race to get into the get his spot into Homestead. And the only time we were able to bring it up is right here at the end because we were so deep into Harvick's penalty and the Truex move and Daniel Suarez getting screwed out of the ride. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, and, and what about this? You know, I, I wrote an article about this Xfinity series, which is very interesting to me. You know, and well, I know the show with, with this little this little point here. Um, Xfinity Series, when you look at it, right now Allgaier um, is in by about four points, and Chris Ravel sits out after two tough weekends the last couple of weekends. Those two drivers, Allgaier and Chris Ravel, make, have made up 11 wins in the Xfinity Series this year. The rest of the drivers eligible for the championship have a combined Two victories. Two. Tyler Reddick in the Daytona race and Cole Custer last weekend at Texas. Those are the two wins that the rest of the playoff drivers have aside from Allgaier and Bell. And for a format that is supposed to reward winning, this championship in the Xfinity Series, in my opinion, will be extremely lackluster, Bell won't run for it. And I do think Custer has put himself with what he ran last year, won that race by 15 seconds, uh, led almost every lap last year. Both stages destroyed everybody at Homestead last year. He has become an instant favorite to win his championship. But if Allgaier and Bell don't run for this championship, man, that is a flawed, flawed system in my opinion. I think Christopher Bell has a really good shot at winning on Sunday because he's just really good. They've had a couple really bad weeks, and that's the thing. You've got these 10 races in the playoffs where you have to be money. You can't go out. I mean, you you watch the uh, the playoffs in baseball. You watch the playoffs in football. I've seen Tom Brady lose to the New York Jets because Brady they had turnovers that they never have. And you have to – it's that one game. Anything can happen on any given Sunday. And the last two given Saturdays have not been good for Christopher Bell, even though he's lit up the sport all season long. And he's, it was funny. He even said about like, well, if it happens, it happens. If not, we got next year, which is kind of sad because he should be in the Cup Series next year. Yeah, and I think, too, you have to look at it as – I don't know if it's this playoff format because I, I I was resistant to change. I hated when they went to the to the initial chase in 2004, but I love this current system. With it awards consistency and winning at the right times in in the other two divisions in the, in the in Monster Energy Cup Series and in the Camping World Truck Series. I think you're seeing the best four drivers make the playoff, make the final four in, the, in those series. In the Xfinity Series with the cup drivers coming down and winning all of those races, I think that's what you're seeing because I think Christopher Bell may have won more races and, and we wouldn't be in this situation because he'd have a heck of a lot more playoff points going forward. Um, I think and, yep. and, and stage points for that yep. matter as well. I think Justin Allgaier are the same thing. So I'm not sure it's necessarily the playoff format as much as it is we need to get these cup drivers out of here. And it's almost, if it's going to be like this, it's almost like maybe let a certain, maybe let guys five years or younger in the Cup Series run, five years of a Cup experience or, or less, run and, and compete for a championship like this, rather than have your championship run like this, very different to what your regular season is. And to me, I think this playoffs in the Xfinity Series has been outstanding. That was one of the best finishes we've seen all year long at Texas on Saturday night. So yeah. I, I think it's more yeah. of the Cup drivers running there in that series than it is 
the playoff format in general that we're not liking. But I agree with you. I think it would look bad if neither one of those guys make it through. But I, I think very hard. It will. I think both of them will make it through. At least, definitely, one of them will make it through. I think both of them end up doing it. But I think at least, no question about it, one of them will either win in advance on uh, on Saturday night at Phoenix. And if Boy, you look I'll at it right what. now, the way the standings are right now. Allgaier's 12 points out of the playoffs, and Christopher Bell is 34 points out. So Allgaier's going to have to have a really good day, and hopefully something. he has to hope that there's something happens to Hemrick or Elliott Sadler, and Christopher Bell almost has to win. I'll tell you this much, though. Uh, no matter how we feel about the playoff format, I think the naysayers of the people who have come out and said, that these cup drivers cannot be in the, have to be in the Xfinity Series to make it exciting or to sell tickets, etc. I think those have now been silented. No doubt about that, because you rightly well. The thing is, Clayton, they can't sell cup tickets. They're not selling cup tickets with the cup drivers. How the hell are they going to sell Xfinity tickets with the cup drivers? I think the Xfinity Series yeah. on its own. These past, whenever we had the uh, Dash for Cash and the playoffs where it's just Xfinity drivers, I think it's the best Xfinity racing we've had in a long, long time. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And and hopefully they'll go in that direction a little bit more next year. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles tonight. We're going to do it again next week after Phoenix. Good night, everybody.